This morning's Old Testament scripture reading is found on page 599 in the Pew Bible, if you want to follow along. Isaiah 40, 1 through 8. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, all is beauty. And all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade. Then the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the, the people are grass, and the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Our New Testament scripture reading is from Luke. You'll find it on page 858 in your pew Bible. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 17. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our fathers. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share it with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is, is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Oh, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. So let us go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we, um, we thank you that, one, we are here this morning, we're able to wake up and to see the beauty that you've created for us, whether it be in the rain or the wind or the, um, the elements that we see. Lord, we just uh, we marvel at uh, 
just what you have created for us. And we thank you that we can get up and see this again. Not every day that we wake up, we can see sunshine, which uh, we feel in our hearts warms us. But we can see the other side, which is the rain, which the, definitely we need. We thank you so much for the area that we live in and the change of the seasons and uh, the, the, the uh, just unbelievable uh, vision of your majesty and how you are in control. Lord, we thank you for the control that you have allowed us to have here at Grace, being agents of uh, yours here on this earth and in this uh, area of South County, Lord. We pray that as we go forth today and uh, throughout this year coming up and this Advent season, Lord, that you would be with us, that you would bless us, that you would uh, cause your spirit to move in and out of this, our, our body this, uh, as a congregation, Lord, and uh, have us do the things that you would will us to, to do. Lord, not for our glory, but for your glory. Lord, we thank you so much that the word is preached here. We pray and continue to pray that uh, we would be a light on this hill that would bring forth your word uh, to this area and this community, Lord. We thank you for the message that will be delivered this morning, Lord. We just pray that you would be with uh, Pastor Doug this morning as he delivers it, Lord. Open our eyes, open our hearts, our ears for the message and the content. And Lord, we, um, we ask that you would protect him and his family, as he continues to travel the distance that he does to, to be the uh, deliverer of the word for us here in this period between our uh, pastor coming. And uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for everything, everything that you've blessed us with. And we ask all these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas. We can say that now that uh, we're past, we're in the Advent season, although I think a Christian can say Merry Christmas any day because it's actually about Merry Christ Day, right? And so we shouldn't be afraid, although it would sound odd, I agree, to say that some other time of the year. I'm visiting, as, a, the, as the elder just prayed, I'm here as an interim pastor. If you're visiting today, uh, you won't see me much after whenever the new pastor comes, which we don't know yet exactly. So you might keep on praying that all the housing issues would be resolved for Jerry uh, so they can make plans to move in in probably January, and then you can pray there'll be no snow during that moving period of time. We've been talking up until today, kind of a pre-Advent series, looking at some of the things that God was doing before he sent his son, Jesus Christ. And so we took, we took a look at some of that, and then last week we looked at some of the other personalities of, of the Advent season coming, which played a very important role, and that were some of the, uh, some, uh, some thoughts about the Bible and angels. And uh, I recall, as my wife got home and I said, Doug, the, the, if you were taking notes last week, the uh, first bullet that I gave, first point that I gave didn't match what was in the bulletin, because I gave Nick the wrong phrase, but it was announce and forewarn. And so the angel Angels do that plus five other things at least, and today we're going to see an example of, of that in, John, in Luke chapter 1. At any rate, what we've been trying to give you this last couple of weeks was just a taste of some of the events in this book of amazing stories. The greatest stories ever told are right in, in this book. I also liken the Bible to be the book of surprises, because every time you turn to a new page, a new story, you're surprised with how God is operating with that person and that event in history. 
And so it's our, my privilege today to share a few thoughts from this amazing book of the best stories ever told, greatest stories ever told, and this book of surprises. So I'd like to read to you the main text for today. We're going to split it up into two parts. I'll read the second part later today. But first one's a little lengthy, but you might need to hear this. So if you have your Bible, hard copy or e-copy, whatever Bible you're using, or if you just want to listen, please pay attention to these words of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. That's quite a statement if you miss that. They walked blamelessly and were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Do you know anyone like that? But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Do you get the picture? Zechariah had a job to do this particular day because of the lots they chose. His job was to help burn incense in the temple. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Surprise, John. Zechariah, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn away, turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared." Well, if an angel visited you and told you all that, you'd probably have a bit of fear as well. Can you imagine trying to absorb all this? The angels just told him. After years of barrenness, no children, serving the Lord, this angel had a very important announcement. I think you'd agree. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? Probably with a little raised eyebrow when he said that, I don't know. For I am an old man, my wife is advanced in years. Almost like he was saying, come on, this can't be. Are you, are, you, are you kidding me? The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, Zechariah, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. At that point, Zechariah couldn't say anything because he couldn't speak. But he got the message that this was an important message, and this was not time to doubt what a messenger of God was saying to him. But he did. Shades of another man in the Bible, right? Abraham. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, 
he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days which he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this amazing account of what happened to Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth is here in the Bible for some instruction to us. Yet, Father, we might think, well, I've never seen an angel like this. What's on this passage for me? Lord, I pray that uh, something might be known more of this passage that would involve our hearts and our minds today. Give the preacher words in Jesus' name. Amen. Speaking of surprises, I remember the first kind of what I call my first adult surprise when I was 18, 19 years old. I was in college. Those are the days. Um, they seem like a long time ago now when Vietnam was ramping up. And I, anyone who had a number in the lottery, draft lottery, under about 120, was going to go to Vietnam. My number was 55. I got the notice. Welcome. Congratulations. You're going to be drafted into the Army. And of course, in those days, most went to Vietnam. Now, I wasn't opposed to that. I knew there was a draft. I'd signed up for it, registered. My dad was a World War II vet, and I thought it'd be kind of cool to serve my country. And I was not necessarily wanting to go to Vietnam, but I was willing to go to Vietnam. And so I said, well, if I'm going to go to Vietnam, I might as well go as an officer. So I joined ROTC. Nothing wrong with being an enlisted person. In fact, I think that's a great way to, to experience the military. But I said, I'm going to like to be an officer. And I could see in my heart that I was making some plans, and maybe this would be a career for me. Maybe this would be a career for me. And so I joined ROTC at the University of Minnesota. And uh, those are the days in which you couldn't wear a uniform on campus because of big protests going on with the Vietnam War and graffiti on the armory. And they were, they were afraid we might get injured if we wore a uniform on campus. That's the atmosphere of those days. But I was determined to, to be a good officer and press on. You have to have a physical before your sophomore and junior year. So now I was 19, had the physical, and after the physical was done, I was brought in. They said, Cadet Lee, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't be in the military. I said, what? Yes. We took some x-rays of your body, and you have a congenital back defect on your fifth lumbar vertebrae. Didn't understand most of those words, but I knew there was a problem there, but I was too dumb and too green to ask for a second opinion. Can I see the x-rays? Can I, you know, what about this? I was just shocked. And that led then to a bit of a change with this sovereign surprise that had come to me. I was an ordinary, ordinary guy, ordinary kid, you know, looking to the future, trying to make plans, and all of a sudden this surprise came. A reminder, I didn't think about it then, but years later, Proverbs 16, 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. And I remind people that we should make plans. And young people today, you should make big plans to change the world. As you look to your future and think about school and education and even where you are today, make big plans. Whatever age we are, we ought to be making plans to change the world. And so make your plans from your heart. Match your heart with the Lord because from our hearts, we make our plans. But there's a 
little phrase there that changes everything or can change everything, but the Lord. But the Lord. Can you think of any people in the Bible that experienced a but the Lord in their life, in these amazing stories, in this amazing book? Some of you are going through your Bible Rolodex right now. Abraham, Jonah, Job, David. They all were ordinary people for the most part, going through their life, enjoying their whatever they were doing, and God suddenly had a but the Lord for their plans. Noah, I think I'd like to change your life a little bit here. I want you to build a big boat. Abraham, I want you to move. You're going to be the father of my people, and my people will be like the stars of the heaven and sand of the sea. All right, Abraham? Moses, kind of extraordinary life until this point, but you know he had to leave Egypt because he killed somebody for killing an Israelite and was out wandering himself, leaving the, the palace of Pharaoh, wandering in the wilderness, and all of a sudden he approaches a bush, and there is a fiery angel who speaks to him. I'm not sure what plans Moses had at that time, I think it was mainly to be an agrarian sheep farmer, but the Lord intervened. Well, in my life, there was a but the Lord in those days, and the military was off my radar for quite a while. Zachariah and Elizabeth have made their plans. For Zachariah, it was sort of a foreordained plan because he was a priest and his wife was of the order of Aaron. So they were kind of in the priestly family of the Lord and that was more or less ordained. So, but he was, a, he was an ordinary priest doing his job. As a matter of fact, I liken Zachariah to kind of a, uh, kind of a shift worker. He was doing his shift here at the, at the temple. We know from uh, Bible accounts and other accounts that priests lived outside the temple, and so he was a commuter, just like a federal employee. He took his, took a, took his donkey to, and parked his donkey in front of the temple, and then went in and did his shift work. That was Zechariah, an ordinary guy. Elizabeth was a wonderful wife, and as you, you know from the scriptures here, they, they were without blemish, but I'm getting ahead of myself. In the sermon today, I want to cover this who, where, what, when, and why paradigm as we talk about this. And I think it's, I've already talked a little bit about Zachariah and Elizabeth, but I want to tell you there are four main characters, four main Advent personalities in this passage. Gabriel, number one. Then Zachariah, then Elizabeth, and then the baby John, who is to become quite the personality later in the Bible. So Gabriel comes along, as I've already, we already read, and on a message, mission, mission from God, to give John, Zechariah, this astounding news that he was going to be a father. Zechariah, as I said, was a priest doing his shift work in his temple. His job that day was to burn incense. When you're burning incense, the people were outside the temple, as the Bible says, and then, uh, then they could enjoy the incense. Incense was used by God as a symbol and a type of the prayers of God's people, by the way. In, the, in those days, in the Old Testament days. Elizabeth was a supportive woman, but barren, barren because the Bible says they both were righteous and they, they fulfilled all the commandments. We can assume that she was a woman who was loved and revered and was an example to all. By the way, the Greek word for righteous means blameless or irreproachable. Irreproachable. But we know, and also looking at these characters, that Elizabeth was feeling badly about being barren, as, as it was true for most 
families in those days. Well, the Bible says, he is, the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Isn't that something? Here was this blameless couple going about the business of the Lord, living ordinary lives, but inside she felt, she felt reproach. Like people were saying, what's wrong with you? What have you done that you can't have children? This is a priest and his wife. But people were no doubt saying things like that. That's why she felt reproach. And maybe she felt reproached by God, that God, she had done something to displease God. Who knows? All of you have been there, and you have feelings that you often have, and it's hard to express why you have them, but they affect you. And she had feelings, but nonetheless, in the midst of those feelings, they lived a righteous life, blameless, irreproachable. Fourth character, we're just introduced to him as coming, and that's John the Baptist, of course. More about him later, but he was a long prophesied prophet, but Zachariah and Elizabeth had no idea that they'd be connected to him. But sure enough, here they were. So the who? Gabriel, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and little unborn John at this point. Who was, by the way, a cousin of Jesus. I think you all know that. Elizabeth was a cousin. Maybe they were first cousins, which would make John the first cousin once removed, if you're into genealogy, of Jesus. Some of these little details, I think, are fascinating, but we don't want to get off the main focus here, which is that Jesus is coming, all right? But they're interesting details nonetheless. What? What what was this all about? Well, it was a significant surprise message from God. That's what this was. This passage was about a significant announcement coming from a messenger from God himself to tell them they were going to have a child. We learned last week that angels often, often came in critical, and, and critical moments in Bible history. They normally came to God's people. Sometimes they would come to people who were not Christians in dreams and things, but angels mostly came to God's people, God's anointed people like Moses and so on, and to Jacob and Isaac and, and others as well. And here this Gabriel, very high-powered angel, Maybe next in line to Michael, the archangel, came down for this message. I think it's in, as we talked last week about angels and their importance, it's always, you might need to be always prepared to to receive an angel. Zachariah and, and Elizabeth were living righteous lives. And we don't know why God chose them, but he chose them to receive this important message. Where did all this happen? Who, what, where did all this happen? Happened in Jerusalem. In case you don't know, Jerusalem means city of peace. But Jerusalem has had a whole bunch of iterations of names over the centuries because it was a little tiny hole-in-the-wall place, a shepherd's watering hole and so on, and years ago, full of hills, yet it became a fortress. David made it the capital of Israel thousand years before this period of time. And oh, by the way, during that period of time, he also set forth an order of how the priests ought to operate in the temple. And just like a military commander, of course, which he was, he said, I want my priests to operate efficiently and appropriately, and so I'm going to put all the priests in one of 24 divisions. So it says in the Bible here that Zechariah was doing his division duty. 24 divisions, and it had been going on like this for about a thousand years in some form or another as they were doing their duty. So this was in Jerusalem, of course, the city of God. 
One of the names of Jerusalem for years before that was called Fountain, Foundation of God. And as Jerusalem came and fell and was, was destroyed and so on, other names came along, but Jerusalem's the one that stuck. Jerusalem, 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 city of peace. Jerusalem. That's where all this took place. And of course, Jerusalem is key in God's amazing stories because Jerusalem is then where Jesus eventually died and he rose again and he ascended into heaven. And Jerusalem's called Zion, and Jerusalem is a focal point, whether physically or spiritually in the Bible. Jerusalem. All this took place in Jerusalem. When did this happen? Well, bottom line is it happened in the fullness of time, just like when Jesus says at Jesus' birth in Galatians 4. And also it says in this passage, which will be fulfilled in their time. These things will take place which will be fulfilled in their time. We could go on about this particular phrase because everything God does has to do with his timetable. God is always on time for all the things he does. But we sometimes think he's really late. And maybe sometimes he's a bit too early. Years ago, we had a sovereign surprise when we lost a grandchild. That was kind of an early timetable as far as we were concerned. Who wants to outlive their grandchildren? If we had time, everybody in this room, I think, could share a sovereign surprise in a positive way, many positive surprises, but many of you, maybe all of you, would have what we might call a negative sovereign surprise where you were challenged in some way and it changed your life or someone's life forever. But God's surprises, my friends, are he's always on time with his surprises. And we will know someday if we belong to Jesus that why a certain surprise might have happened to you. Surprises like, here's why, here's why, Doug, I gave you Nancy to be your wife. You didn't know this at the time, but this is why I gave her to you. We'll find out about that. And we'll find out a million other things when we get to heaven. God's surprises. So... Zechariah and Elizabeth were experiencing this surprise in Jerusalem in the fullness of time. And they were overjoyed, it says, with this news. Of course they would be. They were going to have a baby, even though they were older. But the important question today is, why? Why did God do this? Couldn't he have had Jesus come without a John the Baptist coming? Right? Yes, he could have. Couldn't Jesus have come with, um, with uh, John the Baptist being born, and then, then God appoint John after he was born? Well, the big announcement, you know. What, what? We don't know, actually, the answers to those questions, but it's an important question. Why did all this happen? There's a hint of it in what I read to you earlier, because the Bible says he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the Spirit, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. But I think a better explanation is later on in Luke chapter um, 1, verse 39, excuse me, verse 57. When we read these things, and kind of the answer to the question, why did God send John the Baptist? Now we know, we read this earlier today, he was prophesied actually, somebody will come to prepare the way of the Lord in Isaiah 40. But... Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. 
And her neighbors and relatives heard the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah uh, after his father, but the mother answered, no, 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 he shall be called John. And typical of friends, isn't it? And they said to her, what's the deal? None of your relatives are called by his name, by that name. Come on, you got to follow tradition here, Elizabeth. Name, name him Zechariah. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. Remember now, Zechariah can't talk. So we asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And then Zechariah gives the why as to why this son was born to him, whose name was John. He says this. He prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Those are some of the reasons he was sending John. Then he goes on to say, and you, child, Zachariah still speaking, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord himself to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. We give light to, the, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Wow. Wow. Do you suppose Zechariah was probably weighing all these things as he couldn't speak if God gives me my voice back, what will I say? And boy, God gave him what to say. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was on their wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. You know, there are some human things that come out of this passage. You know, what would you, how would you like to be John, or excuse me, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and have your only child leave home and go live in the wilderness? Hippie comes to my mind when I think of that arrangement. I just read a book about four important things that happened in the year 1969, and one of them was Woodstock. And if you were my age, you, you at least saw pictures if you weren't there. I certainly wasn't there. But it was, you know, it was the start of almost everything hippie-ish and long hair and love and peace and, and so on. And uh, John left home to go in the wilderness. I think it's significant that we don't hear a peep from their parents about how upset they were with John that he was going to do this. They would leave home. Why don't they didn't no, no talk about why don't you become a whatever carpenter, you know, basket maker, take care of donkeys, what do something else, John? But no, there was nothing in the Bible about that because it was foreordained and planned that he'd be a prophet and prepare the way for Jesus. They didn't understand all these things. Just like the apostles didn't understand all about Jesus until they had 
he had risen from the dead, basically. But certainly John came because to do some of these things, prepare the way of the Lord. I think God wanted to get people's attention, which is one of the reasons he sent John to the wilderness to eat locusts and honey. They're very nutritious, by the way, in case you don't know. I'm not sure how tasty, but they are. honey is nutritious and tasty. But I think God sent John out to garner people's attention and to, to startle them a little bit with what he was saying because he also spoke bold words as we read in the New Testament passage when he once was alive. And he said, you brood of vipers. I mean, can you imagine a guy? How attractive is that? To be baptized by this guy who says I'm a part of a brood of vipers? But John was bold. And God used his bold, maybe strange ways to get people's attention about their sin, to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah who would take away their sin. I think this may be a stretch. Uh, Pastor, maybe you can correct me later uh, on, but you know, I think God used John here to help people be aware of their need for something to do with their sin, even other than the sacrifices they were familiar with in the temple that went on every day. So he was an outlier, John was, and he came to prepare the way of the Lord. I think we have a, I, I'll just speak for myself, I have a hard time understanding how he might be attractive to anybody, but thousands came to him in these days in God's providence. And I love it. And when Zachariah prophesied, he said, he's coming, Why? So the sunrise will visit us from on high. Jesus is the light of the world. And we could spend weeks just on this prophecy of John here, preaching and talking about this. To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. John came to prepare the way of Lord. Jesus hasn't come yet in our Bible narrative, so who? Gabriel, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, what? A significant message from God to a couple that was barren that says you're going to have a child. Where? In the city of Jerusalem, God's holy city, God's appointed city, a city that had been raised up and made special by David especially. When? In the fullness of time. By the way, we think this might have happened maybe late fall, early winter. People don't know precisely when Jesus was born, but events like this have prompted people to try and go backwards in their chronology and say, okay, we know he was a priest, we know priest did this, we know who and so-and-so was Herod, who was, who was king, and so on, and they're trying to figure out when this happened, and it was probably late fall or late winter, one of the two, when John was born, and then later on Jesus was born. Oh, by the way. So what do we do with information like this? We who may never see an angel coming to us, either personally or in a vision, what, what do we do with a passage like this? We're probably not, we're not going to have a John. There was only one. So you, you young people, don't, don't think of, you're not going to have a John. Necessarily. You might have a Luther or a Zwingli or a Calvin or something, but maybe not a John the Baptist, only one. And so when we think about this passage today, what do we think about? Well, I, first of all, I think there's an implied suggestion in here that being blameless and righteous is a good goal. What makes a Christian? Kids, listen to this for a second. Kids, what, what's one of the things that makes somebody a Christian is not, of course, Jesus makes us a Christian, but one of the things 
is how we behave and how we want to live our life, whether to please God or please someone else. All of us have tension, don't we, with this? We want to please our bosses. We want to please our wives, our spouses, our children, our relatives, and so on. Life is full of tensions like that. But, all, but here we have this couple who was irreproachable. And I would suggest to us that, me too, that one of our goals is to always ask the question, Lord, how can I please you today? I would like it said of me that I was righteous and blameless, but I, I do have a ways to go with that. Thankfully, glory is when we finally have all that put aside and we do become perfect in the new Garden of Eden, the new heavens and the new earth, which is coming our way. And there's going to be a time when all this comes to fruition and we we have this final stage of glorification. But until then, I think one of the messages we ought to get from this passage is that we need to be striving to be like that. In this dark world, we need to be Lights in the darkness. And so does Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I'm going to give you a story which I think is a sad story. I just heard it yesterday from a pastor friend of mine who has a, what I call a uh, 3C child. Ever heard of a 3C child? Challenge covenant child. A challenge covenant child. We have one in our family. Almost everybody I know has a challenge covenant who is a Christian, has a challenge covenant child. Some child that wandering off from the things they were taught. Some of you know that personally. And you're praying for that challenge covenant child. We never should stop praying and loving and thinking about those individuals. But, but um, this pastor, who's not a pastor in this area, a PCA pastor, we were just talking about one of his his only child, who is a challenge covenant child, a bright, brilliant lawyer. And she's been straying off, but she, she because her mom and dad are, or because he's a pastor, there's always this, have you found a church yet, honey? You know, you're going to church, you know, and you've got to be careful how often you say that to a challenged child and so on. And uh, she said, well, yeah, actually I've been taking your, our, my two kids to this uh, nearby PCA church. And she kind of liked it. She says, the preaching wasn't too hot, but, you know, but it was a nice church, and they took care, of, took care of my children, and, you know, I think I could go there. And so she signed the new visitor book they had, or pieces of paper, whatever they were, three times, and not one response to her inquiries about the church. She was really discouraged. Who, who really cares? You know, I know I've been away from church for a while. This looked like a good church. But then I go and look at Nobody even responds to me. And she'd go there and then there was no interaction in the church physically. Is that church blameless? It was a church of under 100 people. It's not as if there was a lot of work to do on a Sunday. You know what I mean? No elder called, no pastor made a visit, nobody, pastors would stay in front and talking to people and never went to the back and see who might be new. 
It's, it's not untypical, and I don't know anything about grace, so please, this is not a hidden, hidden message for Grace Evangelical Presbyterian. You seem to be very, very friendly and smiling and open and so on. But my friends, you know, when it comes to be blameless, not only do we want to be blameless as individuals and couples, we want to be blameless as church bodies. And you want people to come to grace, and want, you want them to see light when they come here. When people come to Grace Evangelical, you want them to see safety and encouragement. And a non-judgmental spirit, even though, of course, we're required to be judges of sin and behavior and so on. But you know what I'm talking about. So John, Zachariah and Elizabeth were blameless. And let's just say, wasn't because of that, I don't think. But God chose them to have a special message from an angel of the Lord. Which changed, helped change the world. So no matter what... We ought to be seeking to be blameless, but we also ought to be ready for God's surprises. I think Zechariah and Elizabeth, if, if we knew a little more about them, would say they were sad, saddened, and she felt reproach about not being able to have children. We know today that could have been because of her or could have been because of him. They didn't know all that in those days, but nonetheless, a lot of feelings, but they persevered in trusting God doing his work day by day, going into his shift job at the, at the local temple, taking care of things. If whatever the lot said he was to do that day, he said, yes, sir, went ahead and did that. Ordinary people being ready for, being ready for a surprise. They couldn't even be ready for the surprise. They had no idea there'd be a surprise, right? That's what surprises are. But we need to be ready for surprises. What's a surprise? A surprise could be something happening to you and your family, of course. A surprise could be a visitor coming through that door. Is that a, someone who's never been here before? Would you consider that a surprise? I hope you would. Surprises by God need to be dealt with. Years ago, somebody reminded Nancy and me that, that you know, every time we meet somebody new, we ought to consider it a divine appointment. If we took that seriously, who knows what might take place. We often didn't want to be have an appointment with somebody that God brought our way. And that happens to us as well. But this passage, ultimately, in spite of all these things and maybe applications, we need to remember that the story of John, this amazing story, amazing surprise story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, is all about information leading us to Jesus. And whatever other story we read in the Bible, we also need to keep in mind that this all leads to Christ. As Charles Spurgeon said, there's a red line running through all of Scripture, which has to do with the blood of Jesus uniting everything together. And this is all about our relationship with him, which we're going to celebrate in a few moments here with the Lord's Supper. Without taking any of Nick's uh, thunder awake, he's going to be leading us in the Lord's Supper today. I love the story of after Jesus rose from the dead, he was walking on the road to Emmaus and met two guys who were lamenting that Jesus was died, and, and they started talking about him, and Jesus, Jesus kind of went along with it for a while. And then the Bible says they went to have fellowship together because these guys were friendly, invited Jesus to come eat with them. 
And as they broke bread, it says their eyes were opened. Surprise. Jesus is right next to you. It was Jesus walking along with you on the road there. This is the risen Lord you're talking about. Surprise. I don't think it was a Lord's Supper they were eating, but isn't it interesting that we have the Lord's table, and this table is a means of grace, and these are little hints and tastes of a heavenly banquet table we will all enjoy someday. And maybe today when you take communion, you should say, Lord, surprise me today, tomorrow, in a new way. Surprise me with some new information about you. Surprise me. Help me be ready for your surprises. You might think the Lord's table is a bit of a stretch from the story of John. But you see, it all flows together because it all is about Jesus. It all comes together in Jesus Christ. By the way, remember I told you my first adult surprise? The army, military was not in my future. That surprise led to a lot of other surprises, like my wife, my girlfriend saying yes to be married. It led to a bunch of other surprises, not to include seminary, which just, I I look back now, that was a real shocker that I was in a seminary, because I didn't want to be a minister, didn't want to be a reverend. I thought they were irrelevant, Nick. I didn't want to be a pastor. (laughs) I was wrong. But anyway, I was in my second church in Seattle looking for a way to be engaged in the community somehow. You know, pastors do that, right? We look to see if there's some board we can serve on or community, whatever. So I was looking around, and and I discovered, to make a long story short, that an Army National Guard unit needed a chaplain right near my church. Somebody said, Doug, you ought to to apply. I said, I can't. I can't be in the military. I have this congenital back defect in my fifth lumbar vertebrae. They won't take me. He said, well, apply. It never hurts to apply, so I did. And wouldn't you know it, surprise, they never took any x-rays before I raised my right hand. And that led to 31 years in uniform. I mentioned as we started, this is a book of amazing stories and a book about surprises. And Zachariah and Elizabeth got a big one. And they became then part of the narrative of Jesus, God's Son, coming to earth that has now changed whole cultures. And if the message in this book can change whole cultures, it can certainly change a community. And that may be the best lesson of all coming out of this fantastic story today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Your word is absolutely amazing. To think that all these authors and these books of the Bible, that you have woven them together with the thread, a blood-red thread of Jesus Christ, tying it all together. We are here today to enjoy the fruit of all that. Yet there's more to come. So Lord, I pray we might think about Zechariah and Elizabeth today. Think about the angel coming to them and help us to be ready. Help us to think about our life before you. Help us to think how our church can be a a lighthouse for those who are living in darkness. Help us to always focus our lives on Jesus Christ. 
in whose mighty saving name we pray. And his people said, Amen. I do want to take a bit more time just to pray a brief prayer of intercession before we go on to the next hymn, all right? And uh, because we have a needy world, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, our bulletin says a prayer of intercession, and so, Father, we're asking you to intercede on our behalf. Some prayers have been prayed already in that regard, Lord, but we do pray this morning for the new pastor that all the housing details for him and his family would come together quickly. We pray, Lord, that uh, they would maybe surprise them they come earlier than they thought they could. We pray, Father, for this church and these folk as they await their new sh- under-shepherd, but as they also think about how they can interact with those around them, those divine appointments that are in their lives and their neighborhood, as they think about Are they ready to receive your surprises if it comes their way this week? Father, I pray this congregation would live with their hands outstretched and open, ready to receive your sovereign surprises. Father, we pray today for the 3C children that may be a part of this body in some way. These covenant children who maybe have gone off on a different path, who are struggling In this area or that, Lord, I pray that you'd remind them of what they were taught when they were younger. May your word find root in their heart, even in this troubled time in which they may be living, maybe an indifferent time in which they're living. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit would just convict them of their sin, whatever that is, and bring them back to Jesus. Father, we pray today for our government. From the president on down, for Lord, we know that These public servants need wisdom, and our cry is that they would seek wisdom from you, first of all, whoever they are. Father, we're living in a country that's going through dramatic changes, and the light of the gospel has been dimmed. As people have said, I'd rather go my own way, just like Lucifer said in heaven when he rebelled against you, that same spirit is in our country today. Father, we pray maybe there be a new revival, that you might raise up another Luther or Knox or Calvin, Moody, Lord, that might, and then, of course, open people's hearts, surprise them with your sovereign love and your sovereign mercy. Help this church, Father. Help us to be a part of that if that were to come. Help this church, Lord, be ready to receive the new pastor and to make his one, as the Bible says, to make his ministry one of joy and not grief. Father, we have much we could pray about today, but we ask for your interceding grace on these things in particular. In Jesus' name, amen.